0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode four of Real Charlie Speaks, a podcast spinoff from the long-running blog Real Charlie. My name is Philip Barr, I am Real Charlie, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the podcast where we delve into an older piece of work and I talk about What this work meant to me when I was younger and then how it has uh, stood the test of time over the years. Uh, It's September of 2022 and that's when we're recording episode four so I'd like to just jump right in and go. So this month I decided to explore all things Tales of the City and all things Armistead Maupin. For those of you unfamiliar with Maupin's work, Armistead Maupin is a writer of fiction, he has written nine books in a series called Tales of the City, some standalone novels, a memoir, um, and uh, his work has really affected my life in very deep and meaningful ways. So let's just start out with uh, a few facts about um, the series, uh, because we're going to focus mostly on Tales of the City. I am going to talk about all of his, uh, all of his writing but obviously, because nine books uh, that he's written over the course of his lifetime are from the Tales of the City series, uh, we'll focus most of that on Tales. So Armistead Maupin started out by writing a um, writing a column for the San Francisco Chronicle, and uh, it was a serialized uh, serialized column, and it ended up being put into a book. So the very first Tales of the City book is um, from the Chronicle. Actually uh, the first four titles uh, were serialized and the fifth uh, appeared in the San Francisco Examiner Um, and then the remaining titles were never really serialized. So uh, let's just jump in because I think that if we go chronologically I'll be able to explain sort of different things about the books along the way and how I felt about them. So the first book was published in 1978. Uh, it was called Tales of the City. Uh, after that, the second book was published uh, almost immediately, called More Tales of the City in '78 as well. And then in '82, Further Tales of the City came along. Those were the first three books. And then after that, he uh, changed. You know, he started naming them different uh, different names. But the first three books have Tales of the City in the title from '78 to '82. There's a group of people in San Francisco who meet. Uh, they all end up living in the same space. Well, most of them end up living in the same space, the main characters. And that's how they meet, and they become friends, and they fall in love with San Francisco. Uh, so it's the, the, it's the mid to late 70s. Um, by the time this was published, I would say, you know, late, you know, I, let's just go with late 70s. So it's the late 70s. Um, there's a young girl named Marianne Singleton who uh, comes to San Francisco on vacation, from Ohio, and she decides to stay very early on in the book. Um, she ends up uh, hanging out with a college, uh, I'm sorry, a high school friend of hers named Connie Bradshaw, um, and Connie ends up um, giving her a place to stay. But she doesn't really feel comfortable there. She wants her own place, so she ends up um, finding this really funky little. Um, apartment in this really funky building way 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 up on a hill um, in 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 downtown not downtown but in San Francisco proper itself um, that the address of the house is 28 Barbary Lane Um, and that is significant because for the remainder of the series the idea of living at 28 Barbary Lane becomes this um, just amazing uh, amazingly just deep and uh, uh, it it becomes an I it becomes an identity for these people uh, so that's the that's sort of the best thing that I can I can say about it so um, and for those of us who are readers 28 Barbary Lane really means so much to all of us it it, it really means um, home it means home home in a very deep way um, for so many um, LGBT people their friends their allies, From this period moving forward, uh, they had to sort of leave their biological families and seek a better life on their own. And so uh, 28 Barbary Lane becomes a sort of mythic street address, but it's really about uh, the home that they found uh, in the uh, sort of uh, house that was owned by a landlady named Anna Madrigal. So Anna Madrigal is the landlady. She's in her 50s. Um, everybody else is in their 20s and 30s, um, all the other main characters. But Anna is the matriarch of the, um, of the house. Uh, she has her own apartment uh, right when you walk towards the front of the house. And then there's stairs that go up to different apartments. And there's a um, rooftop, uh, one sort of a uh, one room, uh, shack, they call it the pent shack instead of the penthouse, the pent shack on the roof that figures prominently in another, another one of the books. Um, but, uh, Anna really is the matriarch. And I, uh, just to give you an idea of how, how much these books mean to me, and I'm getting a little choked up about this now, Anna Madrigal is my favorite character in fiction of all time. Um, she is, uh, she's she's the just to call her the matriarch is almost an understatement she is a matriarch she is a mystic um she is the empath uh, for the whole series she is uh a wealth of knowledge for all of these young people and she's had a very very fascinating personal life as well which does not get revealed right away so i'm not even sure if i'm going to reveal that or perhaps I will. I don't know. Um, I'll think about that in a minute. Uh, aside from that, uh, aside from Marianne and Anna, there are, um, other characters, other main characters, Michael Tolliver, who is nicknamed Mouse, um, is, uh, is the gay male character in the series. It's really kind of interesting because the books have always been called gay books. Uh, when there was a, um, uh, they, the, the first serialized version on PBS was in 93 and there was all this hubbub about um, about gay content, gay this, gay that. And there's no doubt about it is Michael is gay and proud and he's out and everybody knows that. But Michael is one of a number of uh, characters in this book that create an ensemble. No one person's story is more important than the other. So you have Marianne, who's a straight female. You've got Michael, who's a gay man. You've got Anna. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Anna, who's a transgender woman of a certain age. Um, And then you've got Mona Ramsey, who uh, in the beginning you sort of think is straight. You end up realizing that she is uh, either bisexual or a lesbian so perhaps uh, perhaps just a f- uh, sexually fluid character might be the better term for for um, Mona Ramsey. And then the final person who is who makes up the um, the occupants of 28 Barbary Lane is Brian Hawkins and Brian is a straight man he is a Um, underemployed waiter you find out later on that he's actually a lawyer um, who left law um, because he was dis uh, enchanted with it Um, so he's a waiter at a restaurant and brian is one of those characters that is really pivotal because he is sort of transformational he is this he is the straight white man in the series um, but he uh, maupin doesn't treat him any differently than any of the other characters all of the characters are filled with beauty with flaws um, with, um, with angst and with uncertainty. Um, and uh, they each have their own paths that they're on. But um, it's, there's a lot of equality in this book as far as the characters go. And really, Maupin is the person that coined the term logical family. So, logical family is found family. So, in other words, uh, you you grow up with your biological family with your new, some people call it a nuclear family which are the people that you are either biologically related to or if there's adoption involved or things like that you would you know it's just the, the, it's the family that that raised you and then you go out into the world and you meet friends and you develop really deep friendships with people and that those people become what Maupin lovingly refers to as your logical family so everybody that's in the house is. Uh, is a part of this logical family of Anna's who she has uh, created and who she nurtures and who she loves throughout the course of the books and, and throughout the course of their lives. Um, so the first three books, as I said, were, um, were part of the serial. The fourth book um, was also part of the serial. So I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit now and get into the fourth book because that's a, a jumping in point for myself. So I read the first three books, uh, in and around college. Um, I fell in love with them very early on, um, a bunch of us in college. And again, my group of friends, uh, my very personal group of friends and intimate group of friends were made up of, um, gay men. They were made up of lesbians. They were made up of straight women. I didn't have a lot of straight male friends. Uh, and that's something that I might explore later on, um, in, in the podcast. But, uh, but suffice it to say, uh, I did have a, a large variety of, of people in my life, and I wasn't one of those people that just uh, hung around with fr- and had made friends with people who were um, like me. So by the time we got to uh, the fourth book, which is called Baby Cakes, uh, which for many reasons is probably... Uh, one of my favorite books, um, or at least in the top two um, or three, I guess you could say. My, my top three books out of the series of nine probably are going to, it's going to be Baby Cakes, then it'll be Michael Tolliver Lives, which is book seven, and then The Days of Anna Madrigal is book nine, the last book. Uh, Baby Cakes is really important to me personally on several uh, for several reasons, but also very important to Maupin and to the series itself. So as you can imagine, the series uh, was published in 78 and then continued um, on and on throughout the years. Uh, he paused at one point um, during, the, uh, during his writing period. So there's a, there's a big gap between um, book six and book seven, uh, but he wrote other things during that time period, just not tales. And uh, he actually thought he was finished with tales after six books and then came back and wrote three more but um, as you can imagine, uh, there was there was not AIDS in seventy eight. Um, but by nineteen eighty four, when Baby Cakes was released, it was really the beginning of the horrific part of the AIDS epidemic. So Baby Cakes becomes the first novel to have an a, a character die from AIDS. Um, so it was extremely um, significant and um, and shocking. I mean, people were angry. Um, uh, people that didn't live in the, um, ground zeros, they didn't live in San Francisco. They didn't live in New York. They didn't live in LA, um, were really angry because 84 was really early in the epidemic. So for, for Maupin to, uh, to take this leap, um, meant that, uh, things were really fucked up and that he, um, he wanted to show that. The other thing that was really significant to baby cakes, and this is a personal aside, is that I graduated from college in 83. I moved to Atlanta that summer. And so by the following year, I was, um, and here's the sort of connection between my old self and my current self, is that I was um, a part of a uh, biweekly LGBTQ radio show at uh, a local um community radio station in atlanta and when maupin came to town this is back in the day when uh people did a lot of book tours not just big names like patterson or something i guess patterson actually probably doesn't do (laughs) book tours anymore but you see uh various people coming out for book tours and there's not a lot of smaller press um people doing book tours anymore because they uh, have to spend all their own money to do that maupin came to atlanta for baby cakes uh Interestingly enough, Maupin met his first long-term partner, Terry Anderson, uh, during this book tour. Terry was uh, a senior in college at the time, so he was a year or two younger than me. Um, but uh, but he uh, came to Atlanta, Maupin came to Atlanta, and we set up the interview. And the interview was very, very early in the morning because that was the only time that Maupin t- could do it. So... Um, The uh, person that was actually running the show and myself, we went over and met him and uh, taped this uh, radio interview. And so my very first autograph from Maupin uh, in the Baby Cakes book says, For Philip, I don't get up that early for just anybody, Armistead Maupin. So very, very sweet. Um, It was an amazing interview, and it just connected me to Armistead for the rest of my life. There's a couple of other personal stories that I'll share in a moment. Um, but I will continue on um, with uh, with the book. So uh, that's book four. Um, the uh, I'm not going to say who dies um, from AIDS, but uh, that one of the one of the characters dies from AIDS. Um, and then books uh, five and six, uh, which were the last of the original six books, Significant Others and Sure of You. And during the course of these last uh, three books, the middle three books. Um, a lot there's a lot of um, characters going their separate ways um, which is typical of uh, people that go to a large city to find their um, their meaning in their life, their fame and their fortune. Uh, not everybody stays. Some people do stay. Not everybody stays. Uh, so it's very realistic. N- you know, now that I'm looking back on my own life and looking back on the friendships I've made over the years and all the different places I've lived, um, it's very true to what my own personal experience was. Um, So, as I mentioned, um, after Maupin did Significant Others, which was book six, that was 1987. I'm sorry, excuse me. After Maupin did Sure of You, which was book six, that was 1989. And then the next Tales book came out in 2007. So a gigantic Pause. Um, And as I said, it it wasn't a pause. Armistead was done with After Sure of You and moved on to um, to 1989. In 1992, he published Maybe the Moon, which is a standalone. And in 2000, he published The Night Listener, which is a standalone as well. Um, Both of those books are really great books. Um, Aside from, I'll talk quickly about both of those. Um, so Maybe the Moon is probably one of my favorite Malpen books, um, and I've read it over and over and over again. It's a beautiful story, um, and it's based on a true story. So um, Armistead knew the actress who played... Th- there were two versions of E.T. in the original E.T. movie. Um, one was an animated version, sort of a robot-type version, and then the other one was an actual person got into an E.T. suit and did scenes to make things more human. And so Armistead was friends uh, with this person. Uh, Hold on just a second. I'm just swapping books around here. Um, I will pull maybe The Moon out and tell you um, and just read to you because he dedicates um, the book to... um, I have that book autographed as well. So the book is dedicated to Tamara Detroit. Uh, 1959 to 1990 so um, Tamara was a um, little person and she was an actress and this book is all about a fictionalized version of her Um, and uh, it's just and and the movie in the book is not called E.T. obviously because uh, Maupin can't do that but the book in the movie is called Mr. Woods from 1981 Um, really an amazing amazing book I've read it and reread it I really hope someday somebody uh, options this for uh, a feature film or a TV series. It's just a great uh, book um, and really shows that uh, Malpin can uh, spread his wings in other projects as well. Um, there are a couple of crossover, uh, very small crossover moments that people who are Tales of the City, junkies like myself, um, pick up in the book as well. And then The Night Listener is this really fascinating book that um, that Armistead um Wrote in 2000, and it's based on you know a lot. All of it, Armist- Armistead is uh, he's self professed as being a southern boy, and uh, he spins tales uh, better than anyone, which is probably why he uh named his series Tales of the City, and so. Night Listener is really based upon, uh, it's semi-autobiographical. So the character who is the Armistead Maupin character in it is named Gabriel Noon. He's a late night radio storyteller. And he talks about his, uh, the end of his 10-year love affair, which was uh, with Terry Anderson, uh, the person that was his first long-term partner who I mentioned during the Baby Cakes tour that they met. Um, his uh, problems with his father... And then the fact that uh, as a celebrity, he gets connected to this kid named Pete Lomax, which is a 13-year-old boy from Wisconsin who's been sexually abused and is HIV positive. And uh, pretty soon, he's sort of caught in this web of like, is this person real? What's going on? Um, and it's a fascinating uh, book. And this was uh, turned into a film film. Um, with Robin Williams playing Gabriel Noon and Tony Collette playing Pete's mom so if you haven't ever seen Night listener um, it's worth watching if you are a reader first uh, absolutely this book is just it's just riveting it's absolutely riveting because I think we're all just sort of waiting to be um to be duped and be fooled by someone because there's so many charlatans out there so so really great so those are the two standalones um, and then as I said there was a big uh, uh, gap between the tales books. Um, and I don't think Armistead that was on purpose because Armistead was doing other things like writing the two standalones, etc. And then in 2007, so that's almost 20 years later, it's 18 years later. Um, he comes out with Michael Tolliver lives. I'm going to get a little bit weepy over this. Um, so those of us who have survived AIDS, um, and there's a lot of us out there and, uh, I love my brothers and sisters um, who are HIV and AIDS survivors. Uh, there was, a, if you if you tested positive, if you developed um, AIDS uh, during a certain period when it was still a death sentence, which I did, um, there was uh, no hope, and you had to make your own hope, um, and I did. I made a lot of my own hope, uh, which is a whole other story. But um, Michael Tolliver is HIV positive in the books, and um, he loses his lover. Um, in baby cakes, and uh, so for Maupin to come back, eighteen years later, and have more stories to tell because Michael doesn't die. Michael lives with HIV positive, and Michael thrives. Um, and uh, the title alone, to me, um, and to and to so many people, not just people who are HIV positive and survived the plague, but all of our uh, friends and lovers and now husbands uh, who are HIV negative um, that went through that. And I have a lot of really good friends who are like very close friends a a number, I shouldn't say a lot. I have a number. I have, I have, okay, I'll just say it. I have two, two very, very, very dear close friends who are HIV negative. And I, um, I cherish them because what they went through is just as crazy and horrific as what I went through as uh, being HIV positive. So we all went through this together. So for Armistead to name this book, Michael Tolliver Lives, was just an absolute touch point for joy and like exaltation. Um, so my friend uh, Pat, who I went to college with, um, and I was in her wedding uh, in the early 80s, uh, I immediately bought a copy of this book, a second copy of this book to send to her. And that was just my, um, my note in it to her was that Michael Tolliver is not the only one that lives. Um, I, I know you're going to love this book as much as I do. And then the next book after that, 2010, he writes, uh, it's called Mary Ann in Autumn. And it's all about what happened to Mary Ann Singleton, because at the end of the sixth book, Mary Ann leaves San Francisco, leaves her husband, leaves her child, and uh, seeks out fame and fortune uh, as a talk show host in New York City. And then in 2014, Armistead gifts us with the final chapter in Tales of the City, book nine, The Days of Anna Madrigal. And... uh, Talk about just a magical end to the story. Um, Anna is elderly now. There is a group of young trans kids that are helping take care of her. Um, uh, There are the old characters. There are the new characters. um, And everybody comes together in this book. It's uh, just a glorious celebration of all things tales um, and was a beautiful send-off to the book. So, obviously, I don't know if I need to say more about how these books affected me. Um, I have said over the years that I've spent a lot of my life looking for 28 Barbary Lane. Uh, I've found it in moments and chapters of my life, but um, I don't have a sustained 28 Barbary Lane in my life. But that's okay because uh, because I do in the books and that's, um, that's a beautiful thing. So I, obviously we have to talk about the adaptations. So in 93, uh, PBS um, and along with Channel 4 in the UK adapted the uh, first book, Um, and uh, it was uh, just incredible, Um, Olympia Dukakis. Uh, was animagical and ended up being animagical throughout the series and uh, introduced and uh, Malpin's Tales of the Cities, the adaptation in 93 really introduced the world to Laura Linney and what a gift that has been. I've followed Laura Linney's career th- since then and I have cheered and um, been so grateful every time another installment came along and she just jumped right in no matter how big her star got. In 98 and in 2001, Showtime picked up the series and produced um, three books two and three. So the very end of the third adaptation is the moment, there's a moment of, I, I can go ahead and say it, there's, I'll just say part of it so to not spoil it. So Marianne uh, gets married, and there's a moment where at the very, very, very end, the last moment of this third installment where Marianne's wedding happens, and they take a photograph of everybody at the wedding, and it's this perfect moment. As we all know, there's all these perfect moments um, in life, if we're lucky, and... Um, but right before that photograph is taken uh, and right before the wedding, something happens that clues us in to that all things may not be as uh, blissful as they seem, uh, which is life. So we had those three installments. There's been a lot of talk over the years about which one is good. There's been, um, there's been three uh, Michael, uh, there's been two Bryans, uh, but everyone else has pretty much stayed the same. Um, uh, and, uh, it's, it's just, it's been just absolutely wonderful to see, to have these adaptations at my fingertips. So I have read and reread the books. I have listened and re-listened to the audio books. Uh, there was one set that Armistead, um, narrated that was, um, abridged, and there's another newer set of unabridged that he had celebrities do like Laura Linney, uh, Alan Cumming, people like that. And then of course, these, uh, I, I'm going to say these four adaptations and you might think, well, you just talked about three. So in 2019, Netflix produced a um, sequel mini series um, starring Laura Linney, Olympia Dukakis. They brought back Paul Gross, who was the original Brian and Barbara, Barbara Garrick, who was D.D. Halcyon Day. D.D. was a minor character, but then became really an integral part of the series. And, um, I believe that Barbara's um, performance as Dee Dee made me go back when I reread the books uh, over and over again and th- really realized what an important character Dee Dee was because Dee Dee was, uh, started out being a straight woman married to a man who was um, uh, bisexual or closeted, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, his, his sexuality isn't ever really identified, but you see uh, – how he um, how he lives his life, and so it's definitely not straight, and it's definitely not gay. Um, and uh, and then she ends up uh, getting divorced, meeting a woman, falling in love, and she embraces a lesbian identity. So uh, Barbara, for a lot of I'm sorry, Dee Dee, for a lot of people, Barbara's performances, Dee Dee, uh, really I think spoke to a lot of people. So that was really uh, really really wonderful. Yeah, it just was great. It was really great. So as I mentioned in the 2019 version on Netflix, uh, we've got Laura Linney, we've got Olympia Dukakis, Barbara Garrick is back. And then Paul Gross is back, who was uh, the first Brian. And then Murray Bartlett, um, came in as, uh, Michael Tolliver. Um, and I think he's probably the best Michael that could ever imagine. He's an openly gay actor. Um, the first actor who did Michael was riddled with issues. He was good, but he was riddled with issues. The second actor who I thought was really great. Um, a lot of people, uh, for whatever reasons, didn't appreciate him, but Murray really does a great job as Michael. Um, Charlie Barnett, whose uh, star has really risen over the last few years, uh, starred as Ben, Michael's younger boyfriend. Um, and then there are um, a whole lot of younger people um, that are involved in the production. But something that uh, I should, I can't um, ignore is that the uh, trans actor Elliot Page uh, played Shauna Hawkins, who is Marianne and Brian's adopted daughter who's now in this um, series, was now a, a fully grown functional adult. Um, so that was a little problematic, I'm going to say. I, I, I had no idea Elliot was going through a transition, um, and I believe it was happening during this uh, filming. So Shauna was always a very voluptuous sort of Betty Page um, character in the books, um, very, uh, very sexually fluid, and uh, really um, embraced her bisexuality. And um, I felt that there was so much awkwardness with Elliot, which I didn't realize at the time. Perhaps uh, was due to like the personal journey that he was going on. So I, when I watched it the first time, I was sort of underwhelmed. When I watched it the second time, their other performances really were so incredible, and they did. They took a lot of. Um, Artistic license with the story, which is the first. The first three adaptations were absolutely rigorously um, held to the books, and this uh, fourth installment did not. It went off into all different kinds of directions. It brought in brand new characters, and at first I was like, "Oh my lord, what is happening?" But you know that that was fine. I just felt I took a breath and I said, "Okay, this is tales for." for the for the 21st century for the young people, and uh, the showrunners of this series uh, did a great job. Uh, so in the end, I was really happy with it. As I mentioned, I just love this series so much. Um, I love Armistead. Uh, I've met him over the years several times. I've met him at additional book signings over the years. Uh, after 9-11, I had sort of a uh, uh, I had sort of a telephone, late night telephone. I don't know what you'd even call it. Like we met through his through his website and he would call me occasionally um, when he was stoned late at night and we would have these long conversations. I was up in, I had moved out of New York and was up living in Kingston, New York in the, in the uh, Hudson Valley. Very much by myself, just me and my dog at that time. And uh, it was it was a moment. It was a connection. Uh, but it never went anywhere after that. And uh, when I met him years later, he didn't really, uh, I don't think he really remembered it, which is fine. I mean, maybe, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, he's a lovely, lovely man in person. He's done so much for gay rights. Um, and he is such a champion for LGBT Community, um, also for uh, growing older graciously. Uh, His husband is a really lovely man. His uh, second long-term relationship; they got married, and his work is um, just—it's just so accessible. That's the great thing about Tales of the City, is that uh, it's not something that you're going to have to take a breath and dig into and really feel overwhelmed at times. It is, um, as I've mentioned to people over and over the years. Reading tales is like reading a letter from a dear friend that you haven't heard from in a long time, and you are so excited to hear from them because you're catching up on everything that's happened to them. And that's exactly what tales is. And also, Armistead's books really heralded the age that we're living in now, where uh, trans people and people of color and lesbians and bisexual people and gay men and straight women and straight men all come together to form a logical family. Um, and it's so it's a beautiful world and uh, Armistead created it. And uh, I've loved it over the last 44 years. It's been 44 years since the first Tales of book was published closer to 50 since he started writing Um, an amazing gift to all of us Um, I love tales I love Armistead and uh, if you are someone out there that are is new to to um, to Maupin absolutely begin with the first book tales of the city um, or you can just jump right into uh, the days of Anna Madrigal um, or hit one of the one of the standalones I would really suggest um, either one Uh, night listener is really Uh, atmospheric and scary and a thriller. And um, sure, uh, I'm sorry, um, maybe The Moon is just a a delightful sort of tales-esque sort of story, but it's of a very specific person during a very specific time. And it's funny and it's horrifying and it's uh, sad, but it's also just, it's life. All of his books are life. They're all... Just like all those different people come together to make a logical family, all different emotions, um, you know, he's not a one-trick pony. All the different emotions uh, that, that make up our lives really come together in Tales of the City and make you feel warm and cozy, but also make you cry and also make you go, oh, okay, maybe I could live my life a different way because this character is really brave. Um, so uh, I, um, I'm i so excited to bring this to you for episode four. I'm so thrilled that you um, honor me by listening to my my podcast, uh, Real Charlie Speaks. Um, we'll be back next month with another delve and dive and deep dive into something old and uh, that we look at in uh, modern day. So uh, in the meantime, please take care of each other, Uh, love yourself, um, and then help others and uh, know that I um, am out there somewhere in the world with you. Uh, We're all small lights that together can really bring uh, beauty and uh, clarity and um, honesty, and, uh, and hope for the rest of the world. So XOXO, and I will see you next month. This is Philip R. Real Charlie uh, with a, another episode of Real Charlie Speaks.